0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Avengers Dangers .NET. I'm Sean Clabo, your host, and with me today is Charles Maxwood. Hey, Charles. Hey. Hey. And today is a great day because we're coming you live and recorded from Microsoft Ignite in Orlando. You know, I don't know how you record something that's not live. Can you record something that you're dead? I don't Uh, think so. (laughs) He's always just recorded live. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we've got a special guest today and his name is Jonathan Carter. Hey, Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm
1: doing great. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Hey folks,
2: this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out.
0: So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What you do and uh, kind of what things you're responsible for. You're from Microsoft, right?
1: I am, yeah. So, yeah, I've been at Microsoft for about 12 years. Pretty much always worked on developer platforms or tools. Um, everything from ASP.NET to Entity Framework. Worked on SQL Server for a little while. For the last six years, I've been in the Visual Studio org. And so, for the last couple of years, my big focus has really been on developer SaaS services that can kind of enhance the... IDE experience beyond what can be achieved in just kind of a local kind of client-based tooling. So my team, in particular, we, we own IntelliCode, which we can talk about in more depth. We own another product called Live Share. And then today, we announced a new product that my team owns called Visual Studio Online. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a lead PM um, in the Visual Studio org. And so our team is kind of a peer of the Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio for Mac teams, because of the fact that we're kind of focused on services that can kind of work across all clients. And then with Visual Studio Online, we introduced a new web-based editor based on VS Code, and so that kind of creates yet another client that we can provide, you know, uh, services for for developers. Really around like how do we make collaboration and productivity better? Right.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I saw that announcement about Visio Studio online. That was really exciting. So I'm looking forward to trying that out. But uh, we'll get, that, get to that in a little bit. Yeah. What we want to first talk about is uh, live share. So live share, I'm thinking, okay, live, that means real-time, right? Yeah. And well. share? Yeah. Share Is that just like <laughs> document collaboration, or is it more than that? You know, kind
1: of. I think, you know, a lot of times when people think of real-time collaboration, they think of Word or Google Doc. Based collaboration, and so what's interesting and unique about the application of that for developers is is a few things. One is no project that we're working on is single file, right? Right. So if you want to have a collaboration story for developers that's meaningful that doesn't require sending code snippets back and forth, you have to have something that allows you to share an entire project without zipping up, you know, um, all of the files, or without sending a commit to Git in order for somebody to to pull it down on their machine. And so what Live Share enables is that you, from within Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code, when you're working on a project and you have a question or you run into an issue or you just want to simply get a second pair of eyes or you're mentoring someone on the team, you just click a button and you can invite somebody directly into your runtime environment, but from their own instance of Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code. And that kind of introduces the other kind of key difference between traditional kind of document collaboration and and developer collaboration in that most people using Word are not customizing their client Right? And so, like, the way. (laughs) I can imagine. Yeah. I can just imagine that nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you're probably not tricking out (laughs) Word with a bunch of extensions and themes and icons. Whereas, developers is very different, right? We spend a lot of time customizing our IDEs to look and feel exactly the way we want it to be to be ergonomic, to be productive, visually appealing. And so, what Live Share allows is you and I to work together on the same code base, but from our own personalized environments. So I could be in VS Code on Mac with a dark theme, with you know the Project Explorer on the left. You could be in Visual Studio on Windows with a light theme and whichever tool windows you have open that you would like, whatever font size. Um, you could have someone on the team that has different accessibility requirements and everybody's working together on the same problem but without
2: sacrificing any of the things that make your setup yours. You know, Sean, he, the, the way he described your setup, you know, with the light theme and different windows, that's pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to say what, I, you do, know, do any you, real
0: developers use light theme? Don't all 10x engineers, I think you said, 10X, all 10x yeah. engineers yeah. black. Black,
1: black, black. Black, <laughs> black uh, Black on black. You know, it was the royal you, you know, not you <laughs> yeah, specifically, yeah, yeah, yeah. someone else. Okay. Um, maybe. Or, you know, maybe a light gray theme versus black, right? There's a spectrum of dark themes. And then the third difference really that we see between document collaboration and development collaboration is that there's the result of the thing you're looking at requires a runtime environment, right? If you and I are working on a, a Word doc, we know what the, the, the result of the text is going to be because you see it, right? As you bold the text. Whereas with code, you can read the code, but to know how it works, you have to build it. You have to run mm-hmm. it. And so with Live Share. What we've built is kind of what we call an end-to-end collaboration p- platform, which allows me to share with you not only the files, but also a terminal. And you can do builds, and we can do a debugging session. And if it's a web application, I can share that local host server with you without having to expose it over the internet. And then today, we actually announced a new uh, enhancement to, to LiveShare, which allows me to F5 a desktop application, and you will automatically see a window pop up that's a- casting those pixels to you so you can interact with the desktop, we can debug it remotely, you could be anywhere in the world. I could be on Windows building a WinForms application, you're on Ubuntu, That's, is that more of the 10x developer style? <laughs> um, uh, and, it, and it would just work, right? And so really, it's that combination of how do we make it so that at any time, if you need help from someone or you want to collaborate for any reason, you can do that without sacrificing any of the context needed to work together efficiently, whether it's debugging a terminal, et cetera, or without sacrificing any of your personalized settings that in a way really kind of start to degrade the experience and make it such that I'm just, you know, the alternative being screen sharing, which is great for meetings and, and, you know, and also for a lot of other things. But at the end of the day, it's you looking at somebody else's world through their lens. And then another really key benefit of live share is that it allows both parties to work together independently. So I forgot to mention this, right? But the thing with, with a Word doc is there's only one file, whereas in a code base, there could be thousands. Mm -hmm. And so if you ask me for help, and I want to go explore the definition of a function that you're looking at, because I don't remember what it does. If we were screen sharing, I'd have to ask you to go do that for me. Or maybe I take control and I do it on your behalf, but we're both locked to kind of the same serialized thinking. Yeah, you only have one cursor. You have one cursor. Yeah. Or maybe even some products do allow multi-cursor, but you have yeah. one focus. Yeah. One
0: control. One yeah. control. Most yeah. people, I think, when they think about live sharing of something on a document, is is that just a multi-cursor version yeah. of some document that you both contribute at the same time. But this exactly. is much, much bigger than that because yeah. you're, it's almost multi-sharing of a whole environment mm-hmm. uh, yeah, with, exactly. with being Visual Studio and then between two people? And is it just two people or can you have more than two? It's
1: up to 30 people.
0: Up to 30. Oh, wow. people. If you, if you want to yeah. get wild,
1: right? <laughs> Mob programming. Mob programming <laughs> or we see, you know, actually we've been seeing some really cool stuff where you have hackathons mm. where you have like six or seven people as part of a group. We see a lot of workshops. We see a lot of conferences actually. Like we just saw uh, HashiCorp You know, had an event recently, and there were people that were doing sessions, and it's like, hey, the first thirty people in the crowd that can get in, get in. Oh, I like that. It's kind of fun. At some point, we we may explore increasing it beyond thirty, but that's kind of been a good threshold for enabling some of the more fun mob programming style scenarios.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You know, worldwide hackathon. You know, everybody contribute different teams.
2: Well, I've been getting into uh, screen. uh, What is it? Live. I've been casting to Twitch. Live streaming. Live streaming, yeah. 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 I'm like, there's a word. I know there's a word. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and so, yeah, I, I'm kind of thinking through that, right? Like, okay, you know, w- what if, right? Yeah. One other thing that I really like about this, though, is that when I've asked for help from people and uh, the screen sharing just for whatever reason isn't quite working, this is also nice because it's, it's not the, hey, Sean, do you want to help me with this project? Well sure. Okay, well we've got to set it up on your machine. Do you have two hours? <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. NPM installer, NuGet yeah. installer, whatever, right? And yeah. uh, it's like, oh wait a second. You yeah. know,
0: I don't have I don't have your editor and your plugins and all yeah. this kind of stuff that you've got working with your code. Right. I've got to download that and then okay, check it out of your yep. code repository, install it. You yep. know, and this is sounds mm-hmm. like it's just I can just click on a link? Is it is it that simple to, to it's, join somebody's session? It's, it's yeah. that
1: simple and we've actually simplified it even further And that uh, the other thing we announced this week is being able to do direct invitations from within Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code. So if I saw if you and I have ever collaborated before I would see you in my little contacts tree in the Live Share tool window, Mm -hmm. see if you're available or not, and I just click a button and you would get a toast saying, Jonathan would like to work with you.
0: Oh, that's so nice.
1: Yeah, it is. (laughs) And really, kind of what we've done is you can think about every feature of Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code we've enhanced such that they can be powered by a remote machine. Mm Because if you join my collaboration session, what looks to you like a local debugging session, you're setting a breakpoint, you're stepping, you're looking at watches, locals, is all being driven by the state of my environment, which is what gets us to the point you were making of you didn't have to do any setup, but you also didn't sacrifice any of the experience that you would already come to know and love from using Visual Studio locally. And uh, we did the same thing for Visual Studio Code. We made the two fully interoperable, right? So under the covers, Live Share is effectively a... Higher-level networking protocol that understands debugging actions, language services, like IntelliSense, um, the concept of build.
0: It's a cross-platform too, cross-platform, cross-tool.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's the other thing I was going to point out with the setup thing is, is like, so I'm sharing from my Mac, and you don't have the right DLL on your Windows machine, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, I'm on Visual Studio, uh, Visual Studio Code. You're on Visual Studio. You know whatever version you have, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's nice because it just it, it encapsulates the parts that matter, and then lets you use whatever environment you're really proficient in. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So
0: you got a Windows user, a Mac user, a Linux user, all, all collaborating walk. on yeah. one. Wow. They all collaborate wow, in a bar. Wow. Yeah. it's yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> walk in well, a bar. Where else would you see that kind of collaboration between people that really like those di- different platforms? Yeah. I I don't yeah. know where you could so. Yeah. So, yeah. if you don't have anything installed, does it download something to to provide that kind of environment, or so?
1: It's uh, Live Share is built into Visual Studio 2019.
0: Right. So, so you do do you have to have one of those products to even Live Share at all? So, if I have just a, a yeah. new install of a machine, I can't click on somebody's link and edit. Remote, yeah. remotely well, or anything like that? That's
1: a good question. To, uh, currently, no. Okay. And so, yeah, you would have to have Visual Studio 2019 or Visual Studio Code. In Visual Studio Code, LiveShare is an extension, right? Because right? it's kind of a lean and mean product. That said, right, one of the other things that my team works on, as I mentioned, is Visual Studio Online, which, among other things, has a web-based editor, um, and one thing we're very keen to enable very soon is if I clicked your live share link, I would just open it up in the browser. Oh, wow. And so that's, <laughs> that is not available today, but that's on the near-term horizon and we are pretty excited
2: about that. Alright, episode's over. Go build <laughs> that. Go build that. <laughs>
0: go build that. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to ruin a lot of vacations, I think. Because somebody's gonna, You know, <laughs> well, on the beach and we got a problem. Can you help us? Yeah. Well, I don't have my computer. Well, you don't need a computer. Yeah. Just, just go find some yeah. little cafe and click on yeah. the link and go on to VS Online, and then help them out.
1: Well, that's why it's important <laughs> you set your availability status and OOF messages appropriately. But yes, you yeah. know, <laughs> assuming you want to be interrupted, we want to make it simple to do. Yeah. Um, so.
0: Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So, with the announcement of Visual Studio Online here at Ignite, so tell us about that. You know what uh, is how it's going to be totally similar to. You know, installed locally, Visual Studio, or is there some differences there?
1: Yeah, good question. So I, I, it's a good segue because we were talking about how Live Share enables the person you're collaborating with to do no setup to work with you, mm-hmm. and in some ways, VS Online is the next step of that journey. But for the person seeking help, in that how do we basically eradicate setup for everybody on the team, whether you're working alone or working as a team? Right. And so VS Online is is a service that allows you to spin up an ad hoc dev machine in the cloud from a Git repo, and it will automatically infer from the code base the language you're using, and therefore the SDKs that should be installed, the extensions that should be installed. It will roam your personalized identity into that machine, any of your settings, your, your themes, your icon sets. And that's all around the notion of making it easier to onboard new members to a team, but also take on new tasks, so we find a lot of people maybe working on multiple projects in parallel, mm-hmm. want to be able to access those projects from multiple machines, want to be able to access them from, from any location or any device, like an iPad or a Chromebook, et cetera. And so what VS Online is, is it's a a way to begin developing entirely in the cloud and then choosing to use Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code, or a new web-based editor in order to connect to those cloud-based environments. In terms of your question of like, h- what to expect from the experience, the goal is really for the Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code feature set to be the same, regardless if you're working locally or working remotely against the, the cloud-based environment. And so today, what we, what we released as a public preview is the Visual Studio Code client and the web-based editor and for those the experience that you'll get is nearly identical to what you would have if you were developing locally so all of the third party extensions the debugging experience the terminal etc all works and if you go to online.visualstudio.com you can sign in spin up a, an environment within 30 seconds be connected to it in the browser and be developing and then live share also is one of those extensions that works and so you can imagine now it unlocks a kind of a a more powerful form of collaboration where we can effectively spin up mob programming environments basically ad hoc where if we want to rally on a user story at the end of a sprint, we can spin this up, share it with everybody and there is no one person that has to be there like Live Share kind of the model of Mm -hmm. a host and a guest. It kind of provides a shared space for collaboration. It allows you to do things like DRI handoff. If it's like, oh, I'm investigating a production incident and I want to hand it off to somebody, they could continue to work in there. You can use it for doing kind of rich reviews of PRs, right? Of like, I'm looking at your code. It looks good, but I want to run it, maybe step through it. I can just say, spin up an environment from that exact PR without having to set it up on my local machine, look at it, run the code. When I'm done, I just delete it and I move on. Oh, that'll Um, be nice. Yeah. And so it, you know, in a way, right, LiveShare and and VS Online are both in a way really focus on team-based collaboration and how to make the act of onboarding to tasks, collaborating with each other, just kind of fundamentally simpler. And so today we also released a private preview of the Visual Studio client for VS Online you know, we are looking to get a lot of great feedback for. Right now, it is not 100% interoperable with all extensions in the VS marketplace, but that's kind of a key area we're looking for feedback on. So yeah, that's kind of the high level gist of VS Online.
0: So right now out there in preview is the VS Code-like editing environment. So That's what you're saying? So, so, if, okay. you went, yeah, so if you want, yeah. And then you can use all the extensions that are out there for VS Code. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So and then coming would be more of a, a Visual Studio, you know, correct. 2019 yeah. type of environment where you could, could you then in install other extensions like, you know, Resharper and OzCode and things like that? You that, be that? The,
1: that'll be the goal. Okay. Right? Like right now we're not there. So like if you were to sign up for the right. private right. preview right. Of, of VS um, the VS support for VS Online. We don't currently have all of those extensions supported, but that's absolutely a top priority.
0: Okay. Yep. So VS Code public preview, Visual Studio 2019 like editing is a private preview right now. Correct. So yeah. where do they go to get into the private preview?
1: If you go to ak.ms slash VSO, that page will one, give you kind of all the information about what VS Online is, but then has a link to sign up for the private preview for Visual Studio support.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. One thing that I'm wondering about with this, too, is that more and more systems are becoming sort of polyglot systems, right, where it's not Mm. just uh, .NET-based systems, right, so people are pulling in JavaScript or Ruby or Python or whatever, right? You know, you're talking about spinning up an environment and then, you know, attaching a web-based editor to it, mm. are there any limitations to what languages you can put on there or systems? Some of them require, like, back-end libraries, too, where it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, C-based or something else on a, a Linux or a Mac or something like that. So, yeah, how do you handle all those kinds of dependencies and things like that? Great question. So, right now, the, the public preview that we've released
1: allows you to spin up Linux-based environments. Okay. And so... It's highly optimized for web development, microservice, API development. Mm -hmm. And with the environment, you can install and do with it whatever you would want to do and you can expect it to work. That said, there's kind of two dimensions of progression on this journey we kind of have to grow over time. One is if you're building a web application and you run it, we enable you to access that locally running server, but from your... Own machine, mm-hmm. which the funny thing is, is when you start to you start to realize that Live Share was actually enabling kind of remote development in the name of collaboration. Mm-hmm. It kind of shows how us building VS Online as a way for you to do remote-based individual development was a natural segue because we kind of already built that experience, mm-hmm. um, but now it's just you working remotely versus your peer working remotely in your environment, and so. As you might imagine, other types of applications, like desktop applications, if you're building a WPF app Mm -hmm. in the browser, you need some way to be able to visualize the application to actually build it. Um, And today, we don't have a mechanism for that. And so that's one thing over time we're going to improve, is make it such that the experience of building desktop apps, mobile applications, data science workloads all become highly optimized. Um, As far as languages go, you know, any language, any SDK that you could install in a Linux environment will work in this environment. But you mentioned other operating systems. So at some point, you know, in the near term, we're going to enable spinning up Windows-based environments. And then we're very interested to hear feedback on if people, you know, are going to need Mac OS-based environments too. Um, and so right now we're, you know, starting off with kind of Linux, the private preview Visual Studio based environments are Windows based as well. Mm-hmm. You know, over time, we'll continue to improve the breadth of application types that you can
2: develop in the cloud without having to sacrifice what you would have locally. Nice. I'm really looking forward now to spinning up a whole bunch of these and creating my own botnet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If
0: that's what you want to do, man, you know. (laughs) So all the assets that you have when you're doing that with VS Online, are they in the cloud or can you work with local assets?
1: You can, because really the the center of gravity for a VS Online environment is a Git repo. Right? Of like
0: Oh,
2: that's interesting.
1: This trend of like config as code and, you know, everything you can think of as code. In a way what we're trying to enable is like a dev environment as code where Mm -hmm there's a set of things we can infer from just a code base and say, oh, this is a Python application. Or this is a C# Sharp .NET core application. So when we create the environment, we'll install the right SDKs and the right extensions and, and everything, to ma- and we'll automatically do a .NET restore for you so that the moment you connect, it's ready to go. But if there's things that you need to do beyond what we can infer on our own, we actually have a configuration file called devcontainer.json that allows you to say, these are additional extensions that need to be installed. These are terminal commands that need to be run after the environment is created. These are ports that need to be forwarded so that if somebody's running a server on this machine, they can access it locally. (laughs) Um, And that begins to give you quite a bit more flexibility in automating a repeatable onboarding experience for anyone that uses that code base right and so then if i set up that configuration and then you come and set up an environment from the same code base you can guarantee that you're going to get dropped into the exact same state that i would be which is really kind of a key key thing you know particularly for teams where you want to have that like dramatic reduction in onboarding time where somebody does not have to go read through a bunch of wiki pages or OneNote documents or README files in order to get started. It's literally, we have a deep link for VS Online where it's like, hey, just like Live Share, click this link, it's gonna open you up into the browser, create an environment exactly the way it needs to be for
2: you, and then you can just start working. I mean, I see this as a real opportunity for people to be teaching, right? You know, just like you said, it's, it's, hey, look, here's your starting point, you yep. click, it pulls a Git repo sets it up, off yep. you go. Yep. Are, are there any limitations? How much does it cost? Currently, it's a per second billing
1: service okay. where you only pay for active usage. And we have two tiers, a standard environment, which is four core, eight gigs of RAM, and then mm-hmm. what we call premium, which is eight core, 16 gigs of RAM. Okay. The standard one though, the, the cool thing about having an environment where it's only powering your dev tools and not your mail client, not your antivirus, not mm-hmm. you know Edge or Chrome, is you get a lot more out of those cores and RAM than you would expect with local equivalent. And so uh, we found that this actually is a big productivity boost for a lot of people from what they're used to today. So it, it costs about 40 cents an hour to run, right. but what we do is we automatically spin the environment down when you're not actively using it, and then when you come back Within 15 seconds or so, you can resume it and get back in. That way, many people, they're not actually coding eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. And so on average, right, if you use the product for a month, it would be about $40. And then the other thing is you can create any number of environments that you want for different projects or you have one for mob programming, you have one for a WPF app, one for an ASP.NET app, you can switch between them. And because you're only paying for active usage, if you're only using one of those at a time, then you're only paying a little bit more for the existence of the environment. It's a Mm -hmm. few dollars a month, right? And so you could imagine you could have three, four, five environments for $45 a month or so. And you're able to retain those without impacting each other they all have right. their own dedicated hardware resources you can access them from VS VS code or the browser you can use them for async collaboration pr reviews so you know that's an area that we're very excited and interested to give feedback on is product right the pricing model usage scenarios
0: so shut it down for lunch shut it down for meetings bathroom breaks things like that you know because if it only takes 15 seconds to come back up that's, that's you know, quick, easy.
1: Yeah, it usually just depends on, and you can configure the the suspension behavior. So you can say like after five minutes of inactivity, after 30, after an hour, okay. or after two hours, you can say never spin it down. The benefit of, of it is that we'll persist a bunch of your state across suspensions, so like breakpoints, which files you had open, et cetera. But if you have like a debugging session going, the environment is suspended when it comes back you would have to restart that, and so that's, you know, one thing to take into account of like you might want to say, oh, I'm okay paying a little bit more. I want my environment to stay active for an hour. So if I went off to have a conversation with someone on the team and came back, I didn't lose any of that state
2: as part of a suspension and resume. Okay. You know? Or um, if it so. was a long running task of some kind, you're or trying to do Or if it was a long running task, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I also see this. I don't know if you've ever tried in the main cabin on an airplane opening up a 15-inch laptop on the seat back (laughs) tray, but it doesn't really work. And so I've I've taken to sometimes using my iPad to do work, and so I'm liking this as well. I don't have to have the full dev environment, but I have a screen that's small enough for me to work on, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just get on airport Wi-Fi. I can run my dev environment in the cloud, Mm -hmm. and it's just, you know, sending text back and forth as I type. Uh, you know, and then I can go and load the page or whatever I'm doing. And yeah. And then when it's time to get off the plane, I just pack it away. It'll shut itself down. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I, I see a lot of scenarios where this is really kind of a handy way of approaching things. Yep. One of the things that I find that we talk a lot about at the different conferences and the different things that I'm working on is open source software. And a lot of people have a lot of ideas around open source software, but we don't often think about the people who are building it and trying to maintain it. I had a friend, John, who came to me. He's been a guest on JavaScript Jabber a couple of times. He came and he actually said, Hey Chuck, I wish there was a show about sustaining open source. That really hit me where I live. And I have a few other friends who are working on projects related to this. So we all got together and we put together a show called Sustain Our Software. You can find it at sustainoursoftwarepodcast.com. It's a place where several people who are passionate about open source come together and have conversations about how it can be sustained and how it can be maintained and what we can do to help these maintainers continue to deliver us value that we build our software on. Most of the software we're building is based on open source. And so it's important to us to have that maintained and have it taken care of. Come check it out. It's been really interesting to listen to the conversations that they're having from people who are working in it all the time and just hear what they have to say about it. Once again, that's at sustainoursoftwarepodcast.com.
0: So, the name, you know, VS Online, is that implying that you have to have an active connection in order to keep working on it? So, if you're on a mobile device or bad spotty internet connection and you lose connection, are you going to lose what you want and you can't keep on working until you get a connection back?
1: Uh, I mean, you, you bring up a good question, which is like, yeah, what's the kind of transitional point between working locally and working online? Right. As the name implies, it very much is a, hey, you now have your dev environment in the cloud and you have your tools operating as thin clients connected to that cloud-based environment. And therefore, it does require you to have a connection. That said, we've done a lot of work to optimize the network requirements so that you don't have to be on a high-end network, right? Or even if you're on a spotty Wi-Fi we have done a lot of work and we're doing a lot more work to make sure that the experience continues to remain pretty good. But currently, yes, if you were to lose connection, like you went in airplane mode or something, you would not be able to work on that. Mm -hmm. That said, the reason that we kind of have that notion of the Git repository as the center of gravity is that if you needed to, you could always commit your code at its point where you're at from within the environment to the repo and then if you had to work locally, you could then just pull that code and work entirely offline. That said, long-term, we do plan to do work that makes it much easier for you to do that transition of, hey, I'm now in a, I'm in a position where I don't have network connectivity. You know, How do we make it such that the VS Online web-based editor is a PWA that's offline capable and is now working against a locally running container versus one in the cloud? And then you, when you come back online, we can roam the changes that you've made, and kind of vice versa. So,
0: yeah, definitely yeah. a lot
1: more work that we can do there to continue to you know uh, improve this workflow. Um, but right now, yes, you would have to be online.
0: Yeah, yeah. what's well, It's still in preview. Yeah. You no, know, we're not at version three yet. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's time to get off AOL,
1: Sean. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, my ICQ number is, for everybody out there... um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One. (laughs) 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 You you know me. Yeah, you and your white theme. (laughs) Yeah, the good old days. (laughs) So, um, if anybody out there has an MSDN subscription, can they basically use the credits that they have for that every month? And this basically becomes free.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, behind the scenes, it is an Azure service. And so, whatever... Discounts or promotions you have that you can apply to Azure will continue to work. So if you have, yeah, Azure Dev Test credits through MSDN, um, if you have, uh, you know, student credits via one of the promotions through Azure, if you have an, if you go create an Azure free trial subscription, you get $125 uh, free credits. Any of those can be applied to to via
0: online.
2: Nice. Yeah.
0: Talking about, you know, since it is an Azure service, I'm sure it integrates with all the other Azure things, so you can hook it up to Azure DevOps, any other thing, you know, for publishing purposes, are you going to publish out to an Azure website or anything like that?
1: There's a few things, like, one is, like, we don't have this today, but we've been having a ton of requests at our booth, is being able to configure, like, a, a virtual network that the environments are provisioned into because a lot of you know enterprises that are using Azure for kind of securing databases or other services within kind of its own like isolation boundary. So we have some work to do to enable that. But yeah, it works great with Azure DevOps. It works great with Azure Functions and App Service and other compute types insofar as there are already really great extensions mm-hmm. for publishing to Business those. Studio
2: Code has all that stuff, yeah.
1: And so that's kind of in some ways the beauty of like when you already have the IDE and you know the editor with an ecosystem that provides a great deployment model for those, we can then just kind of piggyback on it by enabling it to work in a remote context as well. So yeah, there's a lot of, excitement around how VS Online can continue to be applied and optimized for having a great serverless in the browser functions development environment. Same thing for App Service, right? Same thing for, let's say, Azure Container Instances, a lot of exciting stuff ahead. But yes, today, any of the, if you were to go install the VS Code extension today that's in public preview, any of the Azure extensions that you would use to deploy and develop against any Azure compute
0: platform would work so okay, so um, talking about security a little bit there made me think about going back with the, the live share. Mm. what's the security bounds around live share? You know if somebody's sharing my environment, can when I walk away, can they write some sort of a virus code into my thing and it runs on my local machine and, and takes over the world or? Absolutely. What's the... uh, Oh, man.
1: There's a few things. One is when you share with Live Share, you can choose to make it a read-only session so that when the person joins in, they could not modify any file whatsoever. So that's an option that we encourage if you suspect that the person you're working with is not as trustworthy as they should be. We also have support where any file that matches your GitIgnore is not shared. So you can imagine... Oh, interesting. That makes sense. Because, yeah, configs, database... Exactly. ...credentials, stuff. Yeah. yeah. So if you have credentials or secrets, so the person working with you is not going to see those. If you have a terminal open, that will only be shared in read-only. So it isn't like that person is going to automatically be able to start, you know, deleting files or trolling around your hard drive to find stuff. You can also choose to explicitly require accepting... a. Person that joins your session. So some folks, when they see that live share, you have this URL. You know, have the question of, oh, what if the URL gets leaked? There's a setting that you can enable that is kind of like a, like a lobby experience in, in Teams or Skype, where if somebody tried to join your live share session, you'd get a little toast saying, hey, Jonathan would like to join your session, and you could say reject. You can yeah, also Jonathan, <laughs> right? I would be the one Why installing a virus to him? on your machine. Why did I give that link? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so do those links do they time out?
1: Yeah, so the link is a totally ephemeral thing as well. Um, and so every time you share behind the scenes the URL is entirely different. It's an unguessable URL that like if you were to to leak it and you're like, "Oh my god, I put it on Twitter." Uh, you could just unshare and share again and you'd get an entirely different URL. Which is in many ways why the kind of direct invitation experience that I mentioned inside of VS and VS Code is compelling because it retains the, the ID per session security boundary, but making the experience of collaborating simpler than like sending around URLs every single time. So, the other thing is, you know, and people always ask this question, but LiveShare, when you join somebody's session, we attempt to establish a peer to peer connection between the two parties or 30 parties. And if we can do that successfully, then all communication and code changes are going only between the two of you. Nothing is going through any Microsoft server or any code. That said, if we cannot establish a direct connection because of a firewall or a NAT, we will fall back to a relay. But even in that case, all communication between parties is happening over an end-to-end encrypted SSH channel. And so you can think of the live share service as really just being a dumb relay that is there to make sure that two people can collaborate no matter where in the world they are. Mm-hmm. But everything is entirely kept private and secure between the people working together. And then we have settings where you know companies can basically opt into saying... A developer can only use direct connections. And therefore, if I'm trying to join a session from somebody that's going to go over the relay, it will be basically rejected. Just if you want that extra peace of mind of, I don't want to use the relay for compliance purposes. So we have some pretty comprehensive documentation on the security considerations of Live Share that uh, you know, we've kind of iterated on when talking with a bunch of companies to you know, learn about their concerns and, and kind of address them. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the high-level description of, of how it works.
0: Okay. Um, does it have uh, built-in like, chat and video and audio capabilities, or does it integrate with Teams, something along those lines?
1: Yeah, good question. So initially it did not, because when we released LiveShare, you know, we were very much in this perspective of it's a companion product to your existing communication stack. And then what we learned over time is that there was a lot of interest and value in having kind of an integrated chat experience only for the purpose of talking within the live share session. So not meant to replace Teams or Skype or Slack, but to prevent context switching and also to enable talking about code more easily. And so uh, what we have actually is we do have text chat, but that's currently only in Visual Studio Code but we're working on that for Visual Studio. But then in both clients, we have integrated audio calling. Okay. And so that's pretty cool, right? So you can be in VS. I could be in VS Code. You send me a live share invitation. We spin up a call as part of that, and we're talking without having to use a second tool. Behind the scenes, that's built on top of the same calling infrastructure as Teams. And so we've been collaborating very closely with the Teams organization, you know, to kind of say, hey, what if between Teams and Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code, we had the best collaboration platform for an entire organization, right? Whether it's information workers, PM, salespeople, developers, mm-hmm. right? And so over time, we'll do more integrations with Teams. You know, We think there's a bunch of interesting things we can do there. But yeah, so if you went and grabbed Live Share today, you would have integrated
2: audio and then on the VS Code side, text chat as well. So, Sweet. And, and all of that, just to reiterate, all of that, if it can be done, just peer-to-peer is done peer-to-peer. 100%. Voice, chat, yep. all of it. All of it,
1: yep. And LiveShare, actually, another cool thing to mention is it has an extensibility API that third-party extensions can tap into to add additional collaboration capabilities on top. And so, like, for example, there's a collaborative whiteboard extension, that adds a a whiteboard. And so you're in a live share session and it's like, hey, I want to explain something to you visually. Let me just do it real quick. And it's synchronized. And that API that is exposed to other extensions is just basically abstracting away sending messages over that same peer-to-peer secure channel. Right. And so that way you don't have to deal with the networking and any of that stuff. You just deal with effectively creating like a a web API Mm -hmm. that's like, what are the events and and methods that you allow to call? So, like, there's a Pomodoro timer that allows people to have a synchronized kind of pair programming t- <laughs> nice. uh, timer. There's actually a pretty healthy uh, ecosystem, kind of, you mentioned OzCode. Mm-hmm. OzCode built uh, full LiveShare support into their extension. So, if you're doing, like, time travel debugging uh, or link query debugging, you can actually do that collaboratively, which is pretty cool. Nice. So, we're, we're interested in, like, LiveShare, you know, we provide the core collaboration features in terms of making like the out-of-the-box VS and VS Code experience real-time, but then we want to work with the community to then take it even farther to do cool things we haven't even thought of yet.
0: So if somebody wants to learn how to do that, is that uh, out there on docs.microsoft.com?
1: The best place to go for that is actually aka.ms slash VSLS hyphen awesome. So like, I don't know if you've seen this, but <laughs> GitHub, there's this Convention where you have an awesome repo, which is like you know aggregating all of the resources for a topic. So we have a you know awesome Live Share GitHub repository, and that I think is the best place to go and see the documentation for how to create an extension that integrates with Live Share, but also all of the extensions that have already done that, um, cool ideas of what people are up to. Um, so I would recommend that URL.
0: I could see people doing like tech interviews. This yeah. way? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, I kind of like the idea because uh, it's interesting. I mean, hiring changes and doesn't change at the same time. But, yeah, doing it the live code interview,
0: mm-hmm. I, I
2: would want video as well, right? Yeah. So I might use a Zoom or a Skype or something for that. Yeah. But, yeah, the rest of it, yeah, I can watch your code. Yeah, well, actually, was right before I
1: walked over here, I was talking to a uh, couple of guys that were saying they wanted to use Live Share for interviewing because... Uh, in their organization, they do pair programming, and so they just felt like the best way to give the candidate a realistic you know, uh, depiction of what working with them would look like, they want to actually do an interview as a pair programming session. Yep. You know, LiveShare enables that. We have a, a doc in our docs that talks about kind of all of the use cases we've observed people using it for um, up to this point, and it's pretty extensive, which is cool because in some ways, anytime you have two developers working on something in some capacity, LiveShare should support that. And so whether it's office hours or yeah. we have companies where, you know, uh, they provide product support for let's say they're a SaaS platform with an SDK and a developer is trying to integrate it into their app and it doesn't work, use Live Share to get to kind of help them. We're actually internally the Visual Studio support team is beginning to use LiveShare to do support incidences with, with customers as well. Oh so, interesting. yeah. Pretty broad application potentials that we're pretty excited about. Education, of course, mm-hmm. scenarios. So.
0: so, does the term code party mean anything to you?
1: Code party. Code <laughs> oh. party?
0: Wasn't that kind of a pre word for Live Share? Pre? No? No? Uh, we're not, I thought I'd I heard that term. Thrown about with code party with you know with that L- live share
1: that might have been like a, a term you know naming is always fun right like live share before it was called live share was actually called Visual Studio RTC so like Web RTC real time co- communication mm-hmm. um, I'm glad that name didn't happen <laughs> um, <laughs> not that live share is the best in the world but you know kind of like you explained in the intro of the call it kind of is self explanatory if nothing else mm-hmm. but yeah I. I I think Code Party was a name that some people on the team thought was cool <laughs> at one point.
2: Uh, but, yeah. There was a bunch of
0: them. Awesome! I, I'm going to start a band and a podcast, both called Code Party now. Code Party, <laughs> yeah. So, I use a laptop at work, and the reason why I switched to a laptop from a desktop is just so that I could take it home with with me and mm-hmm. have that same environment where I left off at work, yeah. came home, if something happens and I need to fix something or whatever, I can just fire up my laptop, fix it, check it in back. But now thinking about using that with VS online seems so much easier.
1: You could, right? I mean, in some ways I had a similar experience where I'm a Mac user. I much prefer like a Mac air for portability, but I ended up having to buy a pro because I just needed more power. And so in some ways it's like, yeah, we shouldn't, It's unfortunate that we've had to couple our device selection based on our workflow and the demand of the the things we're doing. And so in a way, yeah, Visual Studio Online kind of enables you to say, well, how would you like to work? What kind of portability, what device do you want? And then allow the cloud to augment that with the compute um, and the anywhere access that you need right um so if you want two different machines and you want to be able to access a single environment from both of them you can do that if you want a low end machine and then use high power compute in the cloud you can do that or from an iPad and so i think it it provides developers a little bit more flexibility if in fact that's what they would prefer right
2: now if i have this this is i had two questions and this one kind of leans into this a little bit so I work on probably three or four different projects that all use similar technology stacks, right? Mm. And so they're all out of different Git repos. And so if I spin up a VS Online setup for one, and I get it, you know, we talked about kind of customizing your Visual Studio or editor setup. Yeah. Will it remember that from one to the next to the next to the next? It will, yeah. So Visual Studio already has kind of a roaming setting service. Yeah.
1: Um, and so that will continue to work in the context of VS Online environments which is cool because yeah you have those four pr- environments that are set up correctly for different projects but if you change your font size or you know if you decide to switch from tabs to spaces for some reason of that'll course. roam a- of who, who wouldn't right I mean <laughs> no matter how you know if you're 10 years into your career why not make a switch like that it would automatically roam between them because okay. you know we want to make sure that as your personalization preferences change it's likely those are going to change across all projects, right. not across just one. So, yeah. yeah, you
0: never know. You know, One day I might want the dark theme. The next day I might want the dark theme. And I might want to keep going with the dark theme.
2: Yeah, yeah. that would be crazy, <laughs> but it just might happen, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I'm going to move from tabs to four and a half spaces indentation. Correct. So, yeah. yeah. One, one other thing that I'm kind of sitting here thinking about. So a few years ago I worked on a, a contract. And it was pair programming, but we were there were like half the team was co-located and the other half were wherever, right? Mm. And so pairing was kind of this weird setup. So what what we had done is we had set up servers in the cloud. We had installed all the dependencies, right? And uh, you would SSH in, you'd use TMUX and Emacs, right? So everybody had to use TMUX and Emacs. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you could both connect on the same machine. And since you're both using TMUX sessions, you could... You know, you you got that experience, but it was all text based. Yeah. And so, one thing I'm wondering about here is, it seems like uh, Live Share is kind of the ideal setup for that, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, though, I'm wondering, is there a way to share your online uh, setup so that you can do the same kind of thing, right? Yeah. I mean, when you provision a Visual Studio
1: Online environment, it comes with Live Share out of the box. Oh, okay. Because, you know, in many ways when we released live share you know you had the the vim community like hey we've had this forever mm-hmm. it was called tmux and ssh yep and it's like sure but live share is for the rest of the industry right or certainly for everybody that's using visual studio and yeah. visual studio code which is a lot of people because not everybody is comfortable using a text based editor right that said in the ssh Tmux scenario, you had a shared working space where people could come and go, they could work together, right? right? And so in many ways, the combination of Visual Studio Online and Live Share provide that strong equivalent that is then accessible for many people and provides you with a rich editing experience beyond just a text-based editor or a a terminal-based editor. Because then, yeah, I spin up an environment from a code base, I share it with you, and basically, we didn't deal with SSH. We didn't deal with any provisioning of cloud-based or compute, mm-hmm. um, and we're working exactly the
2: same way we would otherwise. Right. Does it have some kind of like automatic forking feature? So, for example, let's say that I send uh, a commit-based request on, or, or anyway, somebody uses VS Online to access a commit mm. on a repo that I own mm. that they don't have a commit bit on. So at the end of the day, when they're done, can they save, for lack of a better term, to their own GitHub or whatever? You could. Like, we don't currently have any way to, like, automate,
1: I want to spit up an environment from this repo, but I'm not a contributor. And so, you know, behind the scenes, fork it and then clone right. my fork. Or, or um, a button that says, okay, I'm done, but don't lose this. So fork it now. Right, yeah. So we don't have that currently, but that is a great example of the kind of additional optimizations that we want to make to the workflow. Right. Um, That said, all of the code that you make changes to are persisted and will forever exist on the environment until you delete
2: it. Right. I guess Um, that's true.
1: And so you wouldn't lose anything. But in terms of making it easier for you to say, like, okay, I'm done. I want to now, you know, push it to a place that's external to the environment. Right. You know we have some work to do to improve on the experience you
2: just or mentioned. submit it as
1: a pull request or make a pull request. So uh, in addition to Live Share, we automatically install, uh, in the case of GitHub, the the GitHub pull request extension in an environment. So you could today from within, you know, the web or from the desktop, submit a pull request without having to leave the the editor. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like further expanding that to have kind of the fork and then push model or you send a pull request to your fork. Right. Um, you know, we haven't covered all of those nuances.
2: It's that, I guess, more persistent way that people collaborate. And so, yeah, seeing exactly. yeah, it support that would be really yeah. powerful.
1: Well, in some ways, it's like the environment is is mainly yours. Mm-hmm. And so the moment you want that code to become the team's code. Right. You have to put it, you know, you could do a live share session, mm-hmm. but likely you want to push it to some
2: repository. Right. And so. A couple of years ago, I put out a survey asking people what topics they wanted us to cover on devchat.tv. And I got two overwhelming responses. One was from the JavaScript community. They wanted a React show. And the other one was from the Ruby community and they wanted an Elixir show. So we started both. The React show though is React Roundup. And every week, We bring in people from the react community and we have conversations with them about react about the community about open source about what goes into react how to build react apps and what's going on and changing in the react community so if you're looking to keep current on the current react ecosystem and what's going on in react you definitely need to be checking out react roundup you can find it at reactroundup.com
0: so we've gone over live share we've gone over visual studio online Um, We've got a few more minutes left. Is there anything else you're working on that uh, you'd like to let people know about?
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, my team also builds a product called IntelliCode, which is really just kind of an effort to apply AI to developer tools. You know, for example, the place that we've started with is how do we make the suggestions that you get in auto-completion more prescriptive and contextual? Because right now, you know, if you're dotting on a, a class in c sharp, you'll see potentially a very long list of members that just tell you what you could do on that type. Um, they're not necessarily telling you what you're most likely to want to do based on the way people use that API and based on the context of your code. And so IntelliCode is a service that trains an AI model across thousands of GitHub repositories, understands how the base.net types are used in the wild because right, things tend to be a lot less a lot more predictable than we might think they are but also a bunch of third party popular NuGet packages right? and so when you start to write code and you hit a dot you may have seen this already right? you'll see at the top of the completion list items that have a little star next to it and that's IntelliCode in action basically telling you we believe based on understanding of how the community at large uses this API this is what you're likely to do but it's powerful in that it's contextual, right? So if you access an array within a function and then you access that same array within an if statement, the things it's going to recommend to you are different because the context has changed, right? And so if you do if array dot, it's likely you're going to check the length of that array or if it contains something where if you're accessing the array outside of that, you may want to add an item to the array, right? But we're excited to take it beyond there. So in Satya's keynote earlier, we kind of demonstrated how we're going beyond being able to recommend the method or the property and actually be able to suggest the entire contents of the line that you're writing. Once again, based on understanding, hey, you're using an API that we've seen used in the wild a lot. Is this what you're looking to do? Um, And we're excited that that could pretty dramatically increase developer velocity particularly when writing code that is maybe more repetitive or using well-trodden APIs that, like, we can be more assistive than the way that um, traditional IntelliSense works today.
0: Yeah, I've, I've seen it a few times when I've opened up uh, some projects that I've been working on, and it says, you know, do you want IntelliCode to, yeah. you know, scan your code? And mm-hmm. it looks like, so it's doing much more than just, like, most recently used methods or things like that. It actually yeah. is using smarts. And it's not just looking at my code. It's going out there and looking at all the existing code that it went through on GitHub to know what might be different and more common, mm-hmm. things like that. And then is it going to go as far as finding commonly structured bugs?
1: You know, that is certainly something that we're striving for, right? So if you think about, like, what if every... Instead f- of, here's what you want to do, it's... Here's what don't, you don't want to do. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> or, or if you already wrote some code and you want to say is this the most appropriate or, you know, secure right. way of doing it based on, you know, Stack Overflow answers and GitHub repositories. And so really, yeah, IntelliCode is a broad effort of like what if every single feature of the IDE was smarter because of the fact that we understood you know the wisdom of the community so to speak how are people doing this right and just help me discern that quickly without having to switch back to documentation for every little question i have yeah Um, so
0: like virtual pair programming with with yeah with a bot exactly yeah Yeah. exactly right
2: um and it's spying on you but it's okay because it's spying on everyone else too
1: well, yeah. I mean, the <laughs> it is not spying on you so much as you know observing what you're doing yeah. and then saying, hey, here's yeah. what you're likely to want to do. Yeah, but, it
0: is pairing with a bot. I yeah. think that was really well put. Yeah, yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. I really want to thank you for coming and spending time with yeah, us today. Yep. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Got anything last few minutes, Chuck?
2: Nope. Uh, I'm getting ready to launch a book, so go check out the book, Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. That's Awesome.
0: It. So one last thing I want to let the listeners know is uh, thanks for listening today. We recorded it at Microsoft Ignite, and Microsoft is giving away Microsoft Surface earbuds to all listeners, to, and not to all listeners, but to the listeners, and you have to enter to possibly win. So if you want to go to aka.ms podcastsweepstakes and that URL is case insensitive, and, and go there to enter before December 15th, 2019. So thanks, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode.
2: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.